will say that last thing, address the elephant in the room. Um, we had to change the way we're doing things today because um, through the week they were trying to finish the spray foam by today. They had to, yesterday, if you saw the video, everything was covered with plastic. Um, we were able to get a lot of that uncovered, but um, they didn't quite get it knocked out. That is part of what we have to do also with the fire sprinklers. The uh, fire marshal has asked us to put fire sprinklers, fire it's a water suppression, and you can see the pipes around, and this caused really a lot of what is happening. You'll see ceiling tile out around the way. They're doing their, um, what they call a hydrostatic uh, test tomorrow morning at 8 a.m. So uh, hopefully then we can get our, all the ceiling tile back closed in place, and <laughs> we're, we're really rounding the corner here. I mean, like someday, some point, all this is going to stop. But um, it's, it's a good thing I'm a pastor and not a uh, general contractor because I just couldn't handle it. I can't do it. Today we're going to continue. And I think uh, the message today, I did not choose this. We weren't expecting it to be like this necessarily. Um, but it's very appropriate for what's going on with us today. Uh, we're going to continue our series of messages on lessons in the wilderness. What can we learn from the children of Israel as they were going through the wilderness from uh, Egypt into the promised land. There's lots of lessons in there that we can learn. And um, I do know, I hope you guys also, everybody's okay. We, it's a much smaller screen than normal today, but you know, you can follow along on that. And uh, we weren't able to use the size. We'll get back to that. I'm gonna tell a story. There was in, in between Midland and Odessa was a water park, <laughs> a, a legit full-on water park. It's called Water Wonderland. I don't know if anybody any, no, nobody from around there, Water Wonderland. All right, well, Water Wonderland was a spectacle for all of us kids when we were growing up. It was as good as uh, Whitewater or not quite as good as Schlitterbahn, but, you know, it was, it was a good big-sized water park. Now, one of the things that they had there at Water Wonderland was a swimming pool, probably the size of this room, maybe a little bigger. It was a monster swimming pool. It was like the community pool. It was the hangout. It was where everybody went. Now they had the slides and around the park everywhere else, but the main attraction was this big monster swimming pool. And as the main part of that swimming pool, there was a zip line and a cliff. The cliff was about 15 feet off the water. So was, I don't know if it was 10 or 12 feet as a kid. You don't ask those questions. You just jump off the cliff. And then the zip line went probably 100 feet across the pool. It seemed like 100 feet, maybe not that far. But you got to get on the zip line. And from that 15-foot high, zip across the swimming pool. It was, it was amazing to be able to do that. Now, the problem with that was that everybody in the park was in this pool, it seemed like. There would, there would be hundreds of people. So what we would do was we would be in the water and we would watch everybody who would jump and ooh, what kind of jump were they gonna do or when they would do the zip line, the real fancy people would do flips off the zip line. Like it was a place where everybody showed off, you know? So uh, one time my 12 year old self thought I was gonna go wait in the line with all of these teenagers and um, my friends goading me on from another cow, you're not going to do this. Ooh, I can't believe. And, you know, a couple of things you need to know about me. Very competitive. And I will not back down from a challenge, usually. I hope that maturity has gotten a little better for me as I've gotten older. But so I, I waited in line, got up to the top, and there I am. And the goal was for me to do just to jump off, do a front flip, and into a dive off of this 15 foot cliff 
platform right on the swimming pool and everybody in the whole park is watching me. And I get right up to the edge and God knows I wanted to jump in, but have you ever felt that? That but, that there's that thing that we want to do, but so much has happened. It's, it's so much wrapped up in that three-letter word, but such a small word that can have such dire consequence in our lives. Has anybody ever said to you, I'm sorry, but? And you're like, well, everything that you say after the word but, it doesn't matter because you're giving a conditional I'm sorry. Or I love you, but... That three little word, man, it ruins everything. It wipes out every, in fact, in our uh, family, we try to say, especially Cerise and I, we never say, I'm sorry, but. It's just, I'm sorry. Don't give me a condition. Or I love you, but. Those three letters. So I stood at the edge of that cliff and I wanted to jump, but. You know, there's so much happening there. I did jump off, by the way, if you were wondering. I wanted to jump so badly. I wanted to do a great flip. I wanted to, but I got scared. All eyes on me. So I just jumped off and <laughs> swam over to my friends, <laughs> a hero for jumping off in the first place. So the, today we find the Israelites in the same place. We find the Israelites on the edge of a precipice. They have made their way through the desert. They have come to the edge of the land of Canaan and they are ready to enter in. And so I think that for us today, our church, we stand on the same precipice. Behind us is the culture of American church that has been reinforced by generations upon generations of churchgoers. And in front of us is a new way to be the church. And I want you to understand that I don't believe that holiness changes. I don't believe that the way that we're saved changes. I'm not saying that. And I'm not talking about changing everything about church. What I'm talking about is the American culture of church has reinforced the way people think about church and think about God and think about being a Christian and have brought a world of religion into what Christ intended to be a relationship with him. And I'm not here to vilify our past. I want you to understand also I am a product of this church. My dad was miraculously converted in a custody hearing with my mom to Christ through the church. We owe everything about what's happening today to those who went before us. Those who taught us about Jesus, who, in fact, I, I like to say, and I've said this before, I believe that today we stand on their shoulders. And I believe we do our ancestors a disservice, however, if we don't do what God has called us to do. And, and there's no doubt, you guys have seen the news that our culture is changing. People have become lovers of themselves, lovers of money, lost in sin, but refusing to call it sin. But then as I look through it, I wonder, are we any different than the people who wrote the Bible? All you need to do is 
read it and you'll see that humanity's struggle is the same today as it was then. And I like the word vexes. I think what vexes us, confuses us, something we don't understand, it vexes us that today we're living in a world that a hundred years ago seemed unfathomable. As in the days of the Bible, people today are struggling with lust and drunkenness and sexual deviancy and debauchery and gluttony and envy and pride. And we can name the list of all the sins. The church, I believe, has existed as a beacon of hope to spread the good news of the gospel. And, and here's, the, here's the thing. Here's what's changing. It used to be that people came to the church. I've mentioned this before. And when people came to the church, the church stood as a city on a hill. It was a light, right? And, and people came to the church and we could tell them about the good news of Jesus Christ, but that has changed. Just some simple statistics. Did you know that 80% of people in the United States claim to be a Christian? 80%, it's a crazy number. Except that this morning, only 17% of the U.S. population is in church. Did you know that? Another funny number. If, when surveyed, 40% of people said they will be in church this morning. So of the 40%, they're not all here. Only 17%. The point is this. People aren't coming to church anymore. So if we're going to continue the mission that our forefathers gave us, we have to adapt. This morning, within five miles of this church, there's 125,000 people. That's the population. It's a sizable number of people. Of that 125,000 people, only 21,000 are in church today. Our job as the church the ecclesia is not to vilify those who don't go to church, but to somehow let them know that there is a better way. To let them know that they can be set free from the bondage of sin in their lives. To let them know they don't have to face this world alone. To let them know there's a, a family that is ready to accept them and bring them in. And it's our responsibility to spread this message of freedom. So here's the word for us today. And this is what I want us to understand. As the church, God is asking us to become a movement. He is asking us to become a movement, a movement of holiness in our world, a movement that advances his kingdom. In fact, I believe that this call is to be our legacy. We will lead a movement in North Texas if we will follow the will of God. In different parts of the country, the churches that have been the most successful usually start out that way. Now, we understand there's some that have fallen and some, but the churches that have been most successful in doing this have answered this call. He's not asking us alone, but I believe if you listen closely, that call is ringing in your ear for this church. 
And I want you to know that I've seen those churches. I've visited those churches. I've sat in their sanctuaries and I've been to their auditoriums. I've seen what's going on. I claim to fame. I, I visited um, the, the Brooklyn Tabernacle. I was able to, Jim Cimbala invited me into his office. Me and Sarisa spent an hour with him talking to him about the church and what he did and how his culture of prayer was created and that. I've been to, and, but that's not the only one. I've been to many other large churches. I've seen what's, what's going on. I've sat in those sanctuaries and auditoriums. And one thing that I've found that they have in common is they've answered this call. It sounds easy. Who doesn't want to leave a legacy like that? I want to be a person that in 20, 30, 40 years, my kids are saying, I'm standing today on the shoulders of my dad. He left a legacy for me of holiness, and I understand what that is, and I want to follow on that because of him. Who doesn't want to be part of the beginning of a movement? Who, who wants to look at God and say to him, no thanks, I don't want that. So I want to look at the Israelites today. That's a good introduction, wasn't it? <laughs> it's about half the message, really. But some of you are like, oh, seriously? That's the intro? What I want to do, I'm setting us up because I want to look at the Israelites and see how they responded when God asked them the same thing. And about a generation that did not answer the call and that generation passed away. And that's why we're not talking about them today. And there is no doubt that God brought the Israelites to this moment in history. There is no doubt that he brought them to this place. For hundreds of years, the Hebrew people prayed for God to deliver them. Generation after generation labored and died under the confines of slavery, forced to do the work that the Egyptians demanded of them. Until one day, a crazy old man stepped out of the desert, walked up to Pharaoh and said, here's a message from God. Let my people go. This started an amazing display of power. God, over several days and weeks, walked them through the process to freedom. And when the Hebrews leave, they leave in such a rush that they just grab what they can. They take their food, the clothes and, and, and the wealth from the Egyptians that they could grab. And they were out headed to a place they knew nothing about in a land that they didn't know where exactly where it was. Go through the Red Sea. We've talked about that the last couple of weeks. God destroys the Egyptian army. No spears, no arrows, no shields, no chariots, just water. God had a new land and a whole new life planned for his people if they would follow him. He was going to lead them to Canaan, the promised land. He was going to guide them. He was going to take care of them. Over and over, he displayed his power to them. He made the bread manna just fall on the ground. He brought meat to them as if it was just coming out of the sky. He made water come out of a rock like he took care of every need. They saw his glory. This is what gets me. They saw his glory surround the tent of meeting. They saw that glory and it, and it came down. 
You should read about God's glory in Numbers and how they couldn't even walk into the tent. And Moses, after being with God, the glory was so evident and thick on Moses that they said, we can't even look at you, Moses. Cover your face. Because we can't see you right now because God's glory. This is what they saw. He brought them right up to the edge of Canaan. And like me on that high dive, here they were. Right on the edge, looking across the Jordan River, ready to take the plunge. But. Three little letters. So today, we stand on the same edge. God's asking us to make the same decision. The evidence of our past shows God's definite leadership in this church. Our church has a rich history filled with people who at one time stood on this edge. And time and time again, they have taken that step forward. And, and so today is one of those days. Today we have to decide whether we press on or retreat into the wilderness of mediocrity. It's time for us to step up and be counted. So what do we need to do to become a movement? And the first thing is this, we need to have a vision. So we're going to read today in Numbers chapter 13. You can uh, look at the notes for today's message in the church app or in the um, Bible app. I don't know if you can scan the QR code if it's big enough or not on this small screen. But we're going to be reading in Numbers chapter 13. Starting with verse 2, the Lord said, Send some men to explore the land of Canaan, which I am giving to the Israelites. From each ancestral tribe, send one of its leaders. Skipping to verse 17. So this is what he told them to do. Then verse 17. When Moses sent them to explore Canaan, he said, Go up through the Negev and into the hill country. See what the land is like and whether the people who live there are strong or weak, few or many. What kind of land do they live in? Is it good or bad? What kind of towns do they live in? Are they unwalled or fortified? How's the soil? Is it fertile or poor? Are there trees in it or not? Do your best to bring back some of the fruit of the land. Took these 12, we call them the 12 spies. Took these 12 spies, sent them into the promised land. And for 40 days, the spies were in the land and everybody was watching them, waiting for them. They had to come with a very thorough report. And in many ways, I think about the journey we've been on. Some of the things I've seen, God has promised a land flowing with milk and honey. God is going to help us lead our friends and our families and our neighbors into his kingdom. A place where they can be set free from bondage, where they can discover God's grace and his mercy. but are we willing to do what it takes to reach them? The crazy thing is God has chosen us to show them the way. And in our church, we've had many years to consider all that God can do. We've seen his faithfulness. We should believe in his future vision, but do we believe enough to take the next step? How can we not continue this vision 
when we see all that he has done, when we look at all that has been accomplished in this church, I mean, even in the last few years, having paid off the mortgage and the number, a number of you are new in the church and being able to welcome the Brazilian group and now starting our Portuguese translation and having harvest come in. And now it's, it's more than renovations, but you can see everything that's going on. Like God has been with us. Things are being accomplished that we cannot do by ourselves. How do we not continue? Think about the souls that have been saved and have been touched because of the legacy that this church has already established. We will want to be involved. We must. We will want to be part of this movement he is calling us to. The next thing is that we have to make a decision. The first thing is that there has to be a vision. I believe we have a vision. We know what God wants from us. We know and we have adapted. We have changed. We are trying to do things that reach different cultures, different ethnicities, different people, different ages. We have a vision. We have to make a decision. In this account of the 12 spies, this is what's interesting. Everyone who looked at the opportunities could see the greatness of what was there. All 12 of the Hebrew spies came back and, and they said that it was good. That's what it says in Numbers 13, 27. We went into the land that you sent us and it does flow with milk and honey. Here's its fruit. You read the stories of the fruit. Like great, so big, they had to carry it on a, a pole between two people. Like it was amazing. They couldn't believe what they found. The report was good. It was undeniable that there was blessing ahead if they would cross over and take it. You see, God always calls us to something. But he never forces us to it. He asks us to do and then we have to choose. He gives us a part to play. He asked them to do something, but they still had to do. They had to cross over. They had to make the decision. They had to move. It would have been so much easier if they could have just sat there on this side of the Jordan River and said, hey, we love it over there, God. Why don't you send all that fruit to us? That's not what happened. They had to go to the land. They had to take it. And keep reading the story. They had to fight for it. It looks good, but. That word efes in Hebrew, efes. I have it on the screen here. Efes means in Hebrew, however. In English, we translate it as but. It looks good, however. It looks good, but I want to do that. Uh, Verse 28, the people who live there are powerful. <laughs> and it starts with the word FS. But the people who live there are powerful and the cities are fortified and very large. We even saw descendants of Anak there. The Amalekites live in the Negev. The Hittites, Jebusites, and Amorites live in the hill country. The Canaanites live near the sea and along the Jordan. We can't attack those people. They're stronger than we are. And they spread a... And they spread among the Israelites a bad report about the land they had explored. They said, the land we explored devours those living in it. All the people who saw, we saw there are of great size. We saw the Nephilim. The descendants of Anak come from the Nephilim. 
We seemed like grasshoppers in our own eyes and we looked the same to them. You know what Nephilim are? It's the offspring of angel and humans. That's what the Bible says. <laughs> Not me. <laughs> Some of you are like, what? That's in there. They were giants. They were huge people. Ten of the spies were hesitant. They essentially said, we cannot do it. They are giants. We are grasshoppers. Listen, I don't want to make light of their concerns. It's not like their concerns weren't valid. Any of you guys remember Andre the Giant? Yeah? He was huge. Nobody wanted to actually face him in a real wrestling match. Um, there's a, a football's back, by the way. Did y'all know? <laughs> Very excited about that. There's a player a defensive lineman who plays for Florida Gators, 450 pounds and like seven foot one. Huge man. He's the run stopper. When he's in there, they're not going to run on that side of the line. Right? That's, that's, what they, that's what they call him. That's his job. Stop the run. This is what they were up against. It's not like it wasn't true. It's not like it wasn't legit things that they were worried about. There was truth to it. But here's God's message to us today. Here's what Caleb said. You know, we're talking about Caleb. He said, we should go up and take possession of the land for we can do it. He repeatedly said, read the story. Listen, it's a long story. I'm giving you the highlights, right? He repeatedly said, he will lead us. Talking about God. He will give it to us. Do not be afraid. The Lord is with us. So Caleb constantly said, we will overcome. Joshua and Caleb, the two spies who said that it was good, they saw the giants. They saw the, of the uh, descendants of Anak. Like they, they saw, they knew what it was. They saw it, but they knew God was bigger than any problem they were going to face. They believed that God would do it. The 10, what they did was they went out and we call this building an army. If you have a problem, talk to the person that you have a problem with. Because you see what happened here, it cost a whole generation of people. These 10 went out and they spread discord. They gossiped rather than talking to Moses and saying, here's what we believe. Remember what we talked about last week, 60%, I don't know how many of you guys remember that number, of our communication is about grumbling, 60%. Well, they did, and it cost a generation the inability, or made them unable to go into the promised land. Here's what happens, is that fear paralyzes. Fear breeds more fear. Negativity brings more negativity. Have you noticed that before? Fear breeds fear. Then it paralyzes. Then it magnifies. Then it strangles your hope and your faith. Puts an end to it. But I'm here to tell you, and this is the message of today's, the title of today's message, is we are not grasshoppers. We are not Grasshoppers. How often do we get right up to the edge of God's peace for us? Right there. If we, if we would just 
but something in life comes along. Something causes us to stop. Something doesn't allow us to step into it. God's peace is, is right there, but we see the giants and we're scared. How many people do you know who came right up to the edge of salvation? Right there, ready to, I, I want to step into it. I see the goodness, but something in life draws them back. Or what about somebody who steps right up to the edge of God's blessing? They get a glimpse of it, but they turn away because it looks like it's hard to get there. God has made us defeater of giants. When I was a kid, I hope I don't give way to you. This will give you an idea of the kind of life that I grew up. So when I was a kid, my dad would talk about stomping a mud hole. You guys ever heard of that? I'll stomp a mud hole in you. My dad used to say that. Not to me. <laughs> Maybe to me. But especially about other, I'll, I'll stomp a mud hole, you know. I didn't really understand as a kid what he was talking about. I was like, wow, I don't, I don't understand. I think I understand a little bit now, but here's what I want to tell you is God has given us the fortitude to stomp a mud hole in the obstacles, to walk on it, to defeat it. If God has promised us the land, he has already given it to us. If God has promised us his favor, he has already given it to us. We just have to step into it. So today, just take a look around. I've seen throughout the service, a lot of you are. <laughs> You're looking around like, man, I hope that light doesn't fall on him while he's preaching. <laughs> today, we stand on a precipice. We stand on the edge. Will we step in? The Israelites were once at the same edge. It was the edge they found themselves in at a, at a crisis of belief with overwhelming evidence behind them of all God had done. Bread on the ground, meat in the form of quail just coming into the camp, water coming out of a rock, uh, his glory that would, would make it almost impassable into the tent of meeting. Like they, they had seen his evidence behind them of his power. Somehow they suddenly stopped believing and didn't take a step. They didn't do it. I have to be honest, I sometimes here I feel that way. I get pretty nervous about things. Sometimes the weight of I want to be careful. Can I be honest? I'll just be honest. Sometimes the weight of decisions that I have to make about people, about finances, about relationships, it's heavy. It's hard. And I look and I think of, I'm going to tell you something I've never thought of before. I, I'm pretty cheap. As a pastor and the staff, I tell you that. Because I think of every person who gives a tithe of $10. That's what they got. They gave 10% and it was 10 bucks for the week. And when we take on a, 
expensive project of some sort like spray foam. I think, am I, is this a good way to spend that tithe? I want to be, I want to honor God in all we do. I want to make a place so that people can see who God is. You know, when they, when they come here, are we doing that? A relationship that's hard? Walking a friend through marriage struggles? Walking another friend through parenting struggles? Like, I don't, sometimes it's hard. This is, this is my life. You all have the same things going on, just in different ways. I have to remind myself that God has already defeated the giants. He already has. And what I need for him to do is to show me how to step through every step. Help me to trust you, God. To know that you have defeated every enemy behind me. And that that light is not going to fall on me. So as a church, sometimes things are different. And I know since I've been here, a lot of things have changed. But I want every change to be strategic in a way that's going to reach more people for Jesus Christ. If, and if you know me personally at all, if we've spent any time talking, you know that's what I'm about. I want people to know the freedom there is in Jesus because I can remember the time. I like this, by the way. I can remember the time that I was so scared of gripped with fear and anxiety about the sinful life I was living that and, and in God's presence and I've told this before I just can never get away from it this is what anchors me came on me in such a force that I got on my knees I can remember still because I felt like I couldn't stand and I almost felt like his spirit pushed me even lower and I laid down on my face and I can remember I feel I can talk about it and, and still feel the carpet on my nose it's, it's weird right and I decided at that moment God I, I only want it was my sanctifying moment I only want what you want I want to follow you I only want to do what you want to do in my life and part of that meant being a pastor So, thank you for being on this journey with me. And I hope you see my heart and know that everything that we're doing is to see more people come to know Jesus, everything. And if you will, with me, let's continue to step into that promised land that he's given us. Because he is going to... Not, not just continue the movement, but he wants so much more for us as a church. More people, more life change, more miracles. He wants more for us, but we have to step into it. So this morning, I'm just going to ask you where you're seated. We're going to close in a song in a moment, but just bow your heads and close your eyes and search your hearts and say, God, what is it in me? What is that fear? What do I need to do? How do I step into the promised land personally? I just want you to spend 30 seconds doing that. Holy Spirit, search each one of our hearts this morning.
Help us to step into that promised land. And then let's pray as the ecclesia, the gathered church together. And we want to say today, God, would you continue to lead us? Continue to lead us as a church. Today we're, well, for the last, this whole summer, we've been uncomfortable. There are things of every week, there's something new. There's a new ditch, a new paint, ceiling tiles out, I don't know, insulation. Like every week there's something new. And I know we're getting real close to the end of these renovations, but that's, that's the building. Help us as a church to embrace the change that leads us closer to you and that keeps us in your will. Help us to stay focused as a church on reaching more people for Jesus, that others would come to experience what your kingdom is because of the love that we're able to show, but it's only possible because you have loved us first. May we become conduits of your love and grace and remind us daily that we are not grasshoppers.